0: have a Bible, could I could invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 4, I think it's page 60 in the Bibles and the pews, and again uh, we'll pick up from where we left off last week, which is at verse 18 of chapter 4, and for those who are visiting, uh, as, as you've heard, this is part 4 of our series Man on the Edge, where we're re-looking at the life and the adventures of Moses, but before we uh, reconnect with his story, let me make a few introductory comments. Here at here at Windsor we love this book we really do Uh, we believe that God's word is incredibly exciting and dynamic and one of the reasons that we love it and one of the reasons why it is so exciting and dynamic is that every now and again you come across a few verses or a moment in a story that you've never really noticed before that stops you in your tracks and takes you by surprise. Well, this morning, we encounter some of those verses and one of those moments. I remember uh, reading an interview with a a relatively well-known Christian, and they were asked if they had read anything recently that had threatened to undermine their faith. Now, I'm not sure what kind of response the interviewer was expecting, Maybe they thought the person would refer to maybe the latest book or article from the the new atheism stable from the likes of Richard Dawkins or something along those lines. But without hesitating, the person quickly and disarmingly said this. Yes, I have read something recently that threatened to undermine my faith. It's called the Bible. You see, sometimes the Bible confronts those of us who are Christians and maybe have been for some time with information that leaves a scratch on our heads and slightly confused. Material and content within this sacred text that jars an offence, that does threaten to take the legs out from below us. Well, this morning, I want to suggest we come to and read a part of the Bible that has that potential effect. Three verses that come from left field that don't seem to fit. Three verses that you kind of wish weren't there. That if you'd been involved in the initial read through, the editing process, you might have suggested their exclusion and deletion. Although the very fact they are in there does reveal there's been no attempt to sanitize the Bible and remove the difficult bits. You see in Exodus 4 you come across an incident, a moment in the Moses story that most people avoid. Most people gloss this bit over. They avoid it. They duck it. And who can blame them? It is unsettling. And as far as commentators are concerned they're all over the place on it. But, and this is my hope and prayer for this morning, but as we choose to engage with it rather than skip it, we'll discover that despite its disturbing presence, it provides a timely reminder about the importance of personal obedience, the need for wholehearted surrender to a holy God, and the danger of hidden secrets. The content may be uncomfortable, but the implications just might be incredibly helpful. We'll get there in a few minutes. You're not allowed to read on down, and some of you are already doing it. <laughs> okay? So I'm watching you from here on in, right? So heads up. Watch this, right i So last week, uh, we listened to Moses reel off five objections. Five excuses in response to God's call in his life. Who am I? Who are you? What happens if no one listens? I can't speak effectively. I can't speak, speak eloquently. Can I. Uh, send someone else. But eventually, after reeling off all these excuses and objections, Moses realises he's got to go. He's got to launch out. He's got to take a risk. He's got to step outside of his comfort zones and journey with the I am who I am. And so we pick up the story in verse 18 of chapter 4. Please follow this with me. What you find here in verse 18 is Moses now tells his father-in-law, and remember also his employer, that he's heading in a new direction. I don't want to make too much of this, but whenever you sense God redirecting your path in life, it's essential you communicate it to your family it's also essentially you give your employer the heads up. Because if nothing else, you owe it to those closest to you and to those who have invested in you that imminent change is looking likely. Plus, it's always preferable that those who are directly affected by your life transition are on board with you. Mightn't be guaranteed, but it's preferable. Moses tells Jethro, I'm on the move. The interesting thing here is what Moses says, or rather, what Moses doesn't say. Have a look at this no mention of God, no reference to the extraordinary things that have just happened to him beside a self igniting desert plant, and there are no details about the call. Look at what Moses says Let me return to my own people in Egypt. Why? To see if they're still alive. (laughs) Interesting. Given that Moses knows they definitely are. So let me ask you a question. Why does Moses put it like this to Jethro? I'd love to throw that open for discussion. Is it that Moses is nervous of what Jethro might say if he told him the real story? That if he actually told his father-in-law what had happened, what he had heard... And what he was going to do that Jethro would question his sanity. I honestly believe, and Dave's kind of made reference to this already. I honestly believe God still speaks to us today. In various ways. But sometimes we're reluctant to share the reality of what we have heard or what we have experienced. Because we're nervous how others might respond if we told them how God has spoken to us. Or what God has said to us. Is Moses afraid of Jethro's reaction to the telling of the truth? Or is this another example of Moses' lack of confidence in himself? Or actually his lack of trust in the I am? Maybe Moses thinks, you know, if I go to Egypt and if it doesn't work out as predicted... Well, then I can simply come back and say to Jethro, hey, guess what? Yep, my people are still alive. So give me my job back. Maybe that's it. Or is this a case of a needs to know basis? The very fact that Moses is returning to Egypt is in itself a massive deal. And therefore at this particular moment in time, that's as much as anybody needs to know about what he's doing. So which one is it? Scared of appearing crazy? Lack of self-belief? Lack of faith? Or needs to know vases only? Answer? Don't know. No one does. Text doesn't tell us. But what is brilliant is that Jethro's right behind him. Have a look at it. I wish you well. Go. Or go in peace, as some translations have it. Or go, Moses, and go with my blessing, which must have meant the world to the son-in-law. And so he packs up, and he gets ready to go. And in order to ease the nerves and calm the fears, God has told him, look at verse 19, all those back in Egypt who wanted to kill you are dead. You see, What Moses had done 40 years earlier in killing that Egyptian, it still weighed heavily on his mind. But God spoke directly into that issue, lifted that particular burden from his shoulders. The right words at the right moment from a gracious God. If your past haunts you, listen for the voice of God. So now Moses, it says, verse twenty, takes his wife and his sons. Note plural. Up to now, we've only been aware of one son. Seems there's more than one. If you flick over to uh, Exodus chapter eighteen, you discover there is another son born. So it's Moses, his wife, and his sons. And it says here he puts them on a donkey. I don't think I mean he puts all of them on the donkey, but that's the way it seems to read. And they head for Egypt. Now you can only imagine what Moses was thinking as he begins to retrace his steps. As he begins to head back to the place that he had run from. But the final line of verse 20 reveals a critical reality. It says this, And he took the staff of God in hand. No longer a simple shepherd's crook. No longer is this Moses' staff it's now referred to as the staff of God. So Moses and his family are not alone. They were travelling with the tangible, constant reminder of God's immediate presence and power. And in many ways, so do we. Do you know, as pilgrims on a journey, and that's what we are, we're pilgrims on a journey. We do not carry the staff. but we carry the spirit of God in our hearts. He indwells every single one of us who are children of God. And it's God by his Holy Spirit who we carry with us, who reminds us that God is always with us. He's always near, he's always present. And it's him who empowers us for acts of service. We do not travel alone. And so Moses headed for Egypt, clinging tightly to the staff of God. But then he discovers, and I don't know if this happened along the way, but he discovers here, it says, that he's not going to be in for an easy ride. Moses might have hoped that that Pharaoh would lie down quickly whenever he, he, he came and presented his request to him, especially after he watched the wonders that Moses was going to perform before him. But right up front, God says to Moses, Do you know something? Pharaoh's not going to let my people go. In fact, and here's another mind stretching aspect to this story in fact, I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he won't release the captives. Now, I'm not going to deal with that issue today because we're going to be back here in part six. This is the first time we encounter this dilemma of God hardening someone's heart. But it's certainly not the last time we encounter it. And so we'll pick it up again in a few weeks. But what I do want to say here is that although God calls us and equips us and empowers us, there's never any guarantee that you're going to be in for an easy ride thereafter. Moses is left under no illusion. Listen, Moses, it's not going to be plain sailing from here. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be hassle. There's going to be opposition. Pharaoh is going to point blank refuse your request. And it's so important for us to grasp this when it comes to Christian service. Because what we're called to is exciting and it is an adventure, but it's never easy. And there are always obstacles to uh, navigate And even though there will be times when it seems we're getting nowhere, that it feels like one step forward, two steps back, God is still at work. God is still in control. God is still there to enable us to stay focused and to speak into the situation. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not right. Or we're not being effective. And I've no doubt that people like Dave and Fiona need to know that. As they journey into what is a bit of the unknown even though God has called them and equipped them and empowered them it's still going to be a hard road ahead then Moses or God gives Moses the words to say in those tough moments I'll look at verse 22 and and these are brave words to say then say to Pharaoh says God to Moses this is what the Lord says Israel is my firstborn son And I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refused to let him go. So I'm going to kill your firstborn son. Moses has a tough message to deliver. It's going to be really hard for Pharaoh to stomach this. And again, without going off on too much of a tangent, it's worth mentioning that the message that we have been given to share, the message of the cross... For example, is not always easy to take for some people. In fact, it's offensive. It's a stumbling block. It's foolish. Pharaoh is going to find it difficult to stomach this. And many people that we talk to find it difficult to accept what we share with them. Now just before we kind of hit this wall then, let me just highlight one more thought from that verse. Did you notice the goal of freedom? What is the goal of freedom? Why did God want to see his people released? Somebody tell me from that there. Worship. Worship. You see, freedom is not an end in itself. God sets us free to worship, to serve, to glorify and enjoy him forever, to be what we were created to be. And whilst people are held captive, whether it's to Egyptian slave masters or sin in our case, then they're not free to worship as God intends. Let my son go so that he may worship me. Worship is the goal of freedom. Now at this point, in the story when everything seems to be heading in the right direction. (coughs) From out of nowhere, or so it seems, comes a verse and an incident that literally leaves your head spinning. You read it, or at least I do, maybe you don't. You read it and you can't quite believe what you're reading. At a lodging place along the way, the Lord met Moses And was about to kill him. It's one of those verses that you can understand why people skip it. You you can understand why people head for chapter 3, get up to verse 17 of chapter 4 and then start first verse of chapter 5. And I want to suggest that if that doesn't rock you a little, then nothing will. Because what I want to say is, where did that come from? But above that, how do you get your head around the thought of God apparently intent on killing the person he has just invested so much time and energy into getting to this place? He's called him, he's equipped him, he's empowered him, and now he's about to kill him. Moses appears to have dealt with so many of his demons. He's en route to Egypt. Destiny awaits. And then God shows up intent on killing him. Let's read it. Because thankfully verse 25 starts with but. But Zipporah, that's Moses' wife, took a flint knife cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Another reason people avoid this. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. Or as the Living Bible puts it, what a blood-smeared husband you've turned out to be. Next bit. So the Lord let him alone. Brackets, at that time she said bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Close brackets. Then verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, and then you're back on track. (laughs) So what was that about? Now I have made the point that commentators are all over the place on this. And there is an element of the unknown and the uncertain, and I have not wanted to raise this this morning in order to threaten some people's faith. That's not what this is about. I just have a passionate commitment to be true to God's word, all of God's word, which all of it is God-breathed and is useful, even these bits. So there is an element of the unknown and the uncertain here, but what appears to have happened is that Moses has held back on something. There's been an area of Moses' life, an aspect of his life that he's not dealt with. And in some ways, he's trying to hide it and he's trying to get away with it. There's an issue of obedience or rather disobedience that he's not willing to address. He's not willing to face up to. And back in Genesis 17, God had made it crystal clear that every eight-day-old meal was to be circumcised as a sign in the covenant between God and his people. And let me quote: Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people because he's broken God's covenant. It's blatantly obvious. For whatever reason, and we are not told the reason, but for whatever reason, Moses decided: I'm going to ignore that one. I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to ignore that with regard to one of my sons. And that was not something that a holy God was going to overlook. That's not something a holy God could turn a blind eye to, could sweep onto the carpet and say, hey, do you know something that doesn't really matter, especially in the life of a leader? And so God stops Moses in his tracks. There was a private area of neglect that needed to be put right. You see, God is looking for and God deserves wholehearted surrender. Total commitment. He wants to be Lord of every area of our lives. Our public life. Our private life. And every aspect of those. Half-hearted commitment. Hypocrisy, if you want to put it that way. Lukewarm Christianity. Are deadly serious, or so it seems. And Moses might have thought, well listen, apart from one or two other people, No one's going to ever know about this. Problem was. God knew. And God searches our hearts this morning. I know that. And God knows my every thought. Because nothing is hidden from God. And although we may be on a journey. And we're dealing with stuff. And we're getting certain things in order and right before God if we are actively holding back on something. If we're trying to keep something in the shadows or if we're trying to hold on to and entertain certain things, attitudes, fantasies, practices that we need to let go of. Then it's absolutely vital. We're honest before God. We confess those and we bring them into the light and allow God to forgive and to create a clean heart and so the question is and I'm nearly done are we hiding anything this morning are we am I is there an area of our private lives that we need to bring out into the open are we aware of personal disobedience hypocrisy and only I only you can answer that Alone. There are times whenever someone close to us, a family member, a good friend, takes the initiative and speaks into our lives about certain attitudes and behaviour. Who brings areas of serious spiritual neglect to our attention because for some reason we're blind to them. And I wonder do you have those sort of people in your life? I mean the sort of people who actually don't just speak about the superficial stuff of life but people who actually speak about stuff that matters. See, Moses had that sort of person. Do you know who that sort of person was? It was his wife. And his wife sensed what was wrong, and his wife stepped into the situation, and she literally saved his life. Now, there's aspects of that I can't get my head now. But she did it. And then it says, so God left Moses alone. Obedience matters. Wholehearted surrender matters. Hidden secrets are dangerous. And I know that what I've just kind of shared doesn't answer or address every question that's raised by this incident. But as I said at the beginning, my hope and prayer is that it will stand as a catalyst for honest heart searching before a holy God. Incidentally, so one of the really interesting aspects of the Moses story, I've made a reference to this before. If you look at the first four chapters of Exodus, the role of women in Moses' life is unbelievable. This is not the first time that a woman has saved Moses' skin and ensured his survival. There's been the two Hebrew midwives, those unsung heroes, Shifra and Puya. There was Moses' mum. There was Miriam. There was the Pharaoh's daughter. And now there is his wife. Thank God for the women in Moses' life. Otherwise, his story and our story might have turned out very differently. Final bit, then we're done. It seems, although it's not absolutely clear, that Moses is now by himself after this incident. If you read the beginning of chapter 18, don't have time to go there now, but it appears that at some point, and probably I want to suggest this point, his wife. And the boys headed back to Midian. They didn't actually go with him at this stage to Egypt. Which makes sense when you think what just happened. I mean, having been circumcised with a flint knife, one of the sons is not going to be in any fit state to travel. And so Moses is is by himself whenever, and look at the next bit, whenever God sends Aaron, his 83-year-old brother, to meet him. And it says they embrace and they kiss. And then Moses, and this must have been worth hearing, Moses tells his older brother everything that God has said to him and actually shows him all the signs that God has given him to do. That must have been some story. And Aaron is clearly on board immediately. And so they head off to Egypt where they get the elders of Israel together and they get the people together and they share their story, now Moses and Aaron, and they perform the God-given signs and guess what What it says there? The people believe. And that must have been such an encouragement and relief to Moses. But look at the last verse of the chapter. Because whenever the people heard about the Lord's concern, whenever they had seen whenever they realised that God had seen their situation and their misery it says they bowed down and worshipped. And you know, knowing this was the, the people's experience and I want to suggest it's ours. Knowing that there is a God who cares. That there is a God who sees. That there is a God this morning that is concerned about every aspect of your life. Knowing that inspires only one appropriate response and that is worship and getting to this point has been a real adventure for Moses but now it's time to face the pharaoh. but that's for next week for part five this morning as we leave here and continue our journey let's remember these five things there's been five points to the sermon we carry the spirit of God with us The tangible reminder of God's immediate presence and power. (coughs) Holiness matters. And therefore it's important we allow God to shine his powerful searchlight into every recess of our lives. And then deal with whatever is revealed. Be open to the counsel of others. Or rather accept the counsel of others. They might just see of our spiritual lives. Thank God for companions who travel with us and who share our story. And as we discover more about the I am who I am, that he's a God who cares and loves and is concerned, then let's worship and fall at his feet.